Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all. Brave people came through the, the icy roads and the cold. Um, so, and good morning to everyone who's online. Welcome uh, to Fraserlands. I'm so glad to be worshiping with all today. Um, yeah, so another COVID Christmas, uh, and we have freezing weather, and there was the sad news of the death of uh, the Archbishop Emeritus Desmond Tutu today. But no matter what, um, no matter what's going on in the world, uh, we are to come to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth so that we can get the right perspective on what's going on. So everyone, please stand up, look around you, and greet each other, and welcome each other in the Lord. So I recognize most of your sweet faces, um, but if uh, this is the first time you've come to worship with us, we worship you, uh, we welcome you wholeheartedly. Um, so just a couple of announcements before we begin. Uh, first, the year-end Thanksgiving offering. We will be collecting a special offering uh, for year-end Thanksgiving from December 1st to the 29th. So please indicate your that is the year and Thanksgiving when you give. And secondly, uh, the 2021 donation deadline, um, we will collect the 2021 offering no later than Wednesday, December 29th. Offering received after that will be considered 2022 offering. Um, thank you for your cooperation. Uh, also, please note that the church office will be closed from December 27th to the 31st of uh, this year. You may still drop off your offering on Tuesday, December 28th and Wednesday, December 29th from 9.30 um, a.m. to 4.30 p.m. So let's prepare our hearts to, for worship um, by praying together. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you have formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. Indeed, Lord, as we come to the end of yet another year full of uncertainties and disasters, the pandemic, the drug crisis, political turmoil, the devastations and loss of lives through war and conflict, and horrific natural disasters of heat, flood, cyclones, 
we are so aware of our weaknesses and helplessness. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life were 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Let us quiet ourselves before you, Lord, and allow you to examine our hearts. Allow our spirit to be sensitive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit and be repentant. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. We thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness and that by the sacrificial blood of Jesus Christ we are made clean when we live in repentance and reliance upon you, Lord, as we reflect on this past year and look forward to the next, Lord, please teach us to number our days and live each one of them before you in fear and in trembling and in reference. Grant us your wisdom to know how to live in this day and age that is fraught with so many challenges for us to navigate. Let us know how to live as kingdom people who know your peace and your grace so that your presence and your peace will be manifested through us in the spheres of influence you have placed us, each of us in. Let us use all of our resources, our life, our strength, our mind, our money to prepare our hearts and the hearts of others to receive your kingdom that is breaking into ours, even at this very moment. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to your children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. I do pray, dwelling in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So at this time, we will continue our, our worship by giving of our tithes and offerings. We will not be passing the basket. Um, if you are uh, a guest with us, please do not feel obligated to give. We are so glad you're here to worship with us today. Please be reminded of the different ways that you can make your offering to the Lord. If you are here with us today, you can deposit your offering in the offering box at the back 
of the sanctuary at the end of the service. So let us now prepare our hearts to offer our sacrifice of worship to the Lord in the Holy Spirit and in his truth. Psalm 8, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. church let's rise and worship our God Yeah. 
succeeded. Let's prepare our hearts for a scripture reading. Today's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20. I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. You say, food for the stomach and the stomach for food and God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality all all other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You, are, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, let's do this. Scene Fever, take one. Mark? So we've got one question that we want to ask you today. Okay, well, what's that question? <laughs> the question is, if you could change one thing about your body, what would it be? Um, only one. <laughs> um, I would change my forehead. I have a really big forehead. I'd like to be taller. The puffiness of my face. My ears. I have big ears. Stretch marks after having a baby. <laughs> a lot of times, like, kids would make fun of me. Like, hey man, you got big ears, you got Dumbo over there, you know? Definitely my skin, because I've dealt with acne and eczema issues ever since I was a little kid. Growing up, like a lot of people call me like five head or like your forehead's so big, they've always like would say something to me about it. When I was younger, I felt like I wasn't quite adequate enough. 
Can you sit on the chair? I'm going to ask you one question. What's the question? If you could change one thing about your body, what would you change? Mm. Um, hmm. Um, you know, have a mermaid tail. Probably like a shark's mouth. So I could eat a lot of stuff. I could have teleportation in my body. Extra pointy ear. I want legs like a cheetah so I can run faster like a cheetah. I could have wings so I could fly. I don't think there's anything to change. I like my body actually. Yeah, you wouldn't change anything? Nothing else. Just my main tail. <laughs> A lot of people obsess about getting older and about the wrinkles. I love my white hair. I loved it when it started turning white. It's one of those things, because I chose to stay this way, because it just wouldn't be me if I totally changed the way I look. Christianity is almost the only one of the great religions which thoroughly approves of the body, which believes that matter is good, that God himself once took a human body. Some kind of body is going to be given to us, even in heaven, and is going to be an essential part of our happiness, our beauty, and our energy. C.S. Lewis from your Christianity. Well, here we are. Christmas, one day later, Boxing Day. It's great to be with you this morning. Uh, thank you for those who've made it to church today through Omicron snow and Christmas turkey hangovers. We still have people. It's great to be with you. I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this precious time, a Sunday, even a special Sunday like this morning. We invite you here to be with us. So we're doing a series on the Incarnation right now. Uh, we started about five, four weeks ago, and uh, we've called it God Moves into the Neighborhood. We've said that the Incarnation of Jesus Christ is about God coming to us, to our neighborhood. We've discussed what this means about the nature of Jesus Christ himself. We've talked about what this means for the mission of Jesus. Jesus Christ has come, uh, Pastor Josh talked about John 2, the wedding banquet and the wine. Pastor Abe talked about John 1, light coming and to reveal God to us. And even last night, I, uh, two nights ago, I was speaking about Jesus Christ knocking on the door. So we've got two more uh, sermons. And uh, today we're going to look at kind of a topic, one of the results of the incarnation. And I'll say it this way. Um, when Jesus Christ took on a human body, it was an affirmation of the human body. 
in the incarnation, Jesus Christ took on human nature, and part of that was taking on a body, a physical body. And when he took on a body, it was a statement that the human body is good. The human body itself is a good thing. Our key verse is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Here we go. It says that the second half, the body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but the body is for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. The body is for the Lord. That is, we're meant to serve him with our bodies. But what about that second half? The Lord is for the body. I've never thought about that before. I started this passage. The idea is that, that God is pro-body. He is in favor of the body. He cares for a body. One translation of the message says, since the master honors you with a body, you honor him with your body. Really interesting. God honors our bodies by taking one himself. Friends, our bodies are one of the great gifts that God has given to us. We all have them. Each one of you has a body. And our bodies are who we are. Our bodies get hungry, and sometimes we get angry. We also eat delicious food like pumpkin pie and potatoes with gravy. Uh, our bodies get tired. We give them rest. With our bodies, we experience things. Coffee in the morning. We experience the warmth of the sun in the summer. We experience the cold of snow when it's there. We care for our bodies. Many of us spend lots and lots of time washing them and cleaning them, taking them to the doctors, physiotherapists. And many of us are aware of the brokenness of our bodies, too. My father-in-law told me about the organ recital. Um, if you are a younger person, you may not have heard about the organ recital. Um, that's when people over a certain age get together and talk about their organs, which are breaking down. Um, I'm not quite old enough for that yet. Um, our bodies are a gift to us. Did you know the Bible has a theology of the body? The Bible has a theology of the body. And this morning, we're going to listen to the Bible and what it has to say about the body. Um, and I just want to say, you might have never heard this before, and I've certainly never preached about it before. It's been a great surprise to me, this preparation. Pastor Josh picked this topic and then decided he was going to go on holidays and gave it to me. So I had to do quite a bit of work to get my head around this. And it's been really surprising to me how relevant, powerful this topic is. So here's the message. God has given us our bodies as a good gift. Our bodies have dignity, purpose, even grandeur. No matter what your body is like, no matter what it looks like, no matter how, what shape it's in, no matter what it can do or cannot do, your body is a precious gift that should be treated with respect by yourself and other people. And God affirms this goodness and dignity of the human body by sending Jesus Christ to take a body himself. That means that C.S. Lewis is correct. This is what C.S. Lewis said. Christianity is almost the only religion which thoroughly approves of the body. Christianity thoroughly approves. You see, the body is a good thing. That's why I showed that video. Why don't you think about that video? I find that video about you know, what would change about your body very moving. I'm almost brought to tears every time I watch it. 
that first girl, uh, she talked about her forehead and people called me fire. She knew exactly what she would want to change right away. Really interesting. When people are asked that question, they immediately sort of put up a guard and then they opened up a little bit. And I think what that video points out is that many people are uncomfortable with their bodies. Not children, but adults. Pretty much every single one of them somehow feel shame. There's this picture of a perfect body they have in their head. and They know that's not their body. Really interesting. One of the applications of this idea that Jesus Christ affirms our bodies is to make peace with our bodies, like that last lady who said, no, I don't want to change my body. Very interesting. Some of us are at war with our own bodies. And we need to learn how to make peace. Okay, I've got two points. Firstly, the alienation from the body. And secondly, the affirmation of the body. Just a warning, this sermon will discuss sex and the Christian point of view of sexuality. So I guess I'm talking especially to parents at home if you've got kids. I've given you a warning. So two points. Firstly, the alienation from the body. Alienation from the body. All right. Here we go. If you're at home, it'd be great to have a Bible or your phone and a Bible. In this passage, 1 Corinthians 6, Paul's having an argument with the Corinthians. Um, some of the uh, Corinthians, the Christian Corinthians, are going to prostitutes. So if we look at 1 Corinthians verse 15, it says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take them, uh, members of Christ, and unite them with a prostitute? So in Greek culture, uh, prostitution was a regular part of worship, and some of the Christians are participating in uh, worship prostitution. Uh, and not only are they doing that, but they're actually defending themselves. They've said, this is part of our culture, Paul. It's fine for us to do this. And in the first two verses, Paul is actually quoting their words. So if you look at the passage, if you've got a Bible, there's some quotations. So Paul's quoting the things that they're saying to defend themselves. It's their arguments for why it's fine for them to go to prostitutes. And they say three things, three arguments they give. So verse 12, firstly, verse 12, I have the right to do anything. Verse 12. Uh, this is a statement of self-determination. No one can tell me what to do. My body is mine. No one can tell me what I want to do. This is a resistance to limitations, uh, a resistance to anyone outside telling me that my body has purpose or rules or any, anything like that. So firstly, self-determination. Secondly, self-control. They're denying self-control. Verse 13, they say, Food is for the stomach, and the stomach for food. What are they saying? Talking about appetite. So I'm there at Christmas. There's nice food. I'm hungry, and I eat food. But this is a metaphor for sex. What are they saying? Sex is an appetite. And if I have that appetite, I'm just going to satisfy it. My body has urges. It's just a lump of flesh with appetites. I, I can't control the appetites, so I'm going to indulge them. I'll just indulge my appetites uh, what, what, however I want. Because I'm an animal, I have animal urges, I'm going to indulge my animal urges. So firstly, no rules, self-determination. Secondly, self-indulgence. And thirdly, 
The body doesn't matter anyways. That's the last bit. I can get that verse again. Go back one slide. Verse 13, it says, uh, God will destroy them both. Uh, that is, uh, both the stomach and food. That is, my body is going to be disposed of. It's going to be thrown away, so it doesn't matter. My body has no eternal significance, and I will treat it how I want. So this is a little argument for sexual liberty. Uh, Self-determination, self-indulgence, and there's no meaning or importance attached to the body. And I can do whatever I want. They're articulating this view. Now, before we look at how Paul responds, what I want to do is look underneath this a little bit. So here's this idea of sexual liberty, and underneath it, is a worldview uh, that is called dualism. The idea of sexual liberty that the Corinthians are following has this idea that the body is meaningless and dirty. So in, in Paul's day, the Greeks, these Corinthians the Greeks, had an idea called dualism. That is, the human body is dual. There's two parts. I have a soul and I have a body. They're the two parts of me. And the Greek philosophers taught that the soul was the good part, the precious part that will last to eternity, and the body is a dirty part. The body is the insignificant part, and the body is going to be disposed of. When we die, our bodies are going to be thrown away in the trash, and our souls will live on forever. And they taught that means we can treat our bodies like trash. We can use our bodies however we want, and it's fine. We can treat other people's bodies like trash. We can teach our own people's bodies, our own bodies like trash. These two ideas, the sexual liberty and the dualism, my body is trash, do you see they are connected? Do you see that? They are connected. If my body has dignity, if it's precious, I should treat it with care. But if my body is a worthless thing, I can do whatever I want with whomever I want, whenever I want. Okay. That's what is going on and what Paul's talking about. I wonder if it feels familiar at all. Today in our world, we don't have teachers, philosophers advocating mind-body dualism so much. But we have absorbed a very similar way of thinking in our culture. Um, we are alienated from our bodies. The Christian teaching is that we are a one whole. So technically, Christians are monists. That is, we're one thing. That is, we have a body and we have a soul and they're connected. When I go to heaven, I ain't getting rid of my body. My body is coming with me and it's going to be transformed. But in our culture, we have a same dualism that makes us think about our bodies in this similar kind of way. We treat our bodies a bit like trash. So there's a scholar named Nancy Piercy. Uh, she's written a book called Love Thy Body. She has argued in the book that our world is built, uh, has built in into it this dualism that splits the person from the body. That's how we talk about it in the modern world. So we divide a person from a body. We say the person bit is good and has value, and the body bit we can treat like meat. Okay. 
that's kind of interesting. Let me give you a few examples so you kind of understand what I'm talking about because the examples make a lot of sense. So Nancy Piercy gives an example of um, a lady named Miranda Sawyer. Miranda Sawyer is a journalist, a BBC broadcaster, and she's written a lot of stuff. And she's written about abortion quite a lot. She is a pro-choice. She is pro-abortion. And she wrote this very interesting piece. So this is Miranda Sawyer. Um, and that she became pregnant. And when she became pregnant, she was thinking about her pregnancy. And she was so excited about having a baby. And then she started thinking about her abortion logic and started struggling with this. And she started researching and reading and found that the latest science, apparently, um, I haven't read this, but apparently, uh, the latest science seems to point to the fact that life starts at conception. And uh, people of all sides of the argument about abortion are agreeing on that point. It's very interesting. And Sawyer is struggling with this idea that maybe if it's a life, I believe in pro-choice. And this is what she writes. This is Miranda Sawyer. I was calling the life inside me a baby because I wanted it. Yet if I hadn't wanted it, I would think of it as just a group of cells that it was okay to kill. In the end, I have to agree that life begins at conception. So yes, abortion is ending that life. But perhaps the fact of life isn't what is important. This is a very interesting sentence. Uh, it's uh, whether, sorry, I think I typed it wrong. It's whether or that life has grown enough to start becoming a person. So what is Miranda Sawyer saying? She has separated a body from a person. So here is this fetus, this lump of cells, and it's not yet a person, even though it's alive. It's a living baby, but it's not yet grown enough to start becoming a person. And that is the argument that's out there if you go start looking in the pro-choice movement today. So Nancy Piercy, the scholar, continues. If a baby is a human life from conception, but not a person until sometime later, then it is clear these are two different things, a person and the life. This is a radically fragmented, fractured, dualistic view of the human being. So this lady, Miranda Sawyer, has separated the person from the body. And she has said the fetus is just a body. It's just a body. It's not yet a person because it's not out of the womb or not intelligent enough or whatever. And so it doesn't matter if I treat it like a piece of trash. Wow. You see, underneath the abortion thing, I'm talking about the idea here, a living body that isn't valuable because it's not yet a person. Here's just one example. And this is where my prep took me. This thinking is everywhere in our culture. It's not just abortion. It's in abortion. It's not just abortion. This abortion thing is just one example of how we've separated a person and said the body doesn't matter. It's just a piece of trash, and we can do what we like with it. We are uncomfortable with our bodies. People are fearful of their bodies. Some people are obsessed with their bodies. 
Some people are scornful on bodies. The alienation from our bodies runs very deep. Let me just put up this list. I'm going to go through it real quickly. I'm just going to point out some of the other ways we have this in our culture. So we see it uh, in abortion. I've already talked about that. We see it in body image. That's what that video is about. People who feel shame for their bodies because we've absorbed this idea of a perfect body and when we stop and look at our own bodies, we feel disappointed, angry, shame. We see this in eating disorders. People who feel uncomfortable with their bodies, whatever reason, and they try to punish their bodies, starving it with food or taking food away. We see it in the health obsession with some, both those who are focused on things like the gym and other people who are focused on health, like getting well and physiotherapy. People spend great amount of money on these things. We see it in people who abuse their bodies. Uh, oh, disembodiment. Um, sorry, I didn't put the abuse one on there. I was just thinking about drug abuse, um, alcohol abuse, and just people who work too hard, you know, treat their bodies like a machine. We see it in disembodiment. Disembodiment is the idea that we separate our consciousness from our bodies. And this has actually been happening for a long time, like 30 years in a strong way. But what's happened in COVID? We've all moved to our screens. So when I, when I talk to somebody, I'm not in the same room with them, and my body's in a different place. Like, is church church if we're not in the same room? In some senses, yes, but in some senses, no. A disembodied church, and there are extreme versions of this. The hikikomori of Japan, 500,000 young men who have such great social anxiety, they haven't left their rooms for months and years, and they stay in their rooms and play computer games all day long. The government of Japan has a department working on this because it's such a big problem. That's just this extreme version. We see, we see this alienation from bodies in pornography. Pornography where the body of a person is taken for visual sex, and we just relate to a screen, not even a person of sin. And we see it in transgenderism, where somebody says, the body I have is the wrong body. Okay, what a list. <laughs> what a list. You know, I don't like talking about controversial topics, and I've waited right into the deep end today. Each of these individual topics is worth its own sermon, and all of them require the grace of God to discuss, and, and they all require um, important qualifications and pastoral applications. I'm not going to talk about any of that stuff today. Because I'm trying to get at this underlying issue about body. Put the point this way. Do we live in a world that respects the body? Do we hold the body as a precious gift in our country? Do we see the human body as a source of dignity? I argue no. We as a people are deeply alienated from our bodies. We have separated the person from the body and treated the body like a piece of trash. 
And because we live here, Christians, we do the same kind of thinkings too. Now, remember what that last lady said in the video? She had my favorite part of the video. That, that older lady, she kind of had this smile. She said, I chose to stay this way because if I did it, it just wouldn't be me if I changed the way I look. It just wouldn't be me. And she is actually pointing us to the Christian point of view of the body. Beyond the shame that they experience, that many people experience, beyond the alienation, beyond all these things, this lady somehow has found a way to come to be at peace with her body. And she's pointing us towards the Christian teaching. Rather than being a piece of garbage, the human body has dignity. It has honor. It is fundamental to who we are as people, and we will never get rid of them. So friends, there is good news for the body. So there it is. I've tried to, you may never have thought about this before, this alienation from the body. But we've got to go on to the, the positive side, the affirmation of the body. Because in the Christian teaching, there's this really wonderful idea that Jesus Christ says, yes, the body is here. Okay. So let's do a little thinking experiment here. I want you to imagine um, that, that Paul, well, kind of move around here, that Paul is a pastor at Fraserland. The Apostle Paul, you know, Abe, somehow we like get this awesome hire, you know, Apostle Paul, I'd like to be assistant English congregation pastor. And he's there and he's having a con conversation with somebody. And somebody in the congregation is saying, you know, Apostle Paul, I'm thinking about prostitution. That's, that's the topic in our passage. Uh, I, and actually, I uh, went to go to a prostitute last weekend and was pretty great. And I'm thinking about going again. You know, imagine, you know, there's this pastoral situation. What do you think Paul would say to that person today? What would a Christian pastor today say to, a, you know, a, a Christian member of a church, a leader of the church who's going to see prostitutes? Uh, think about it. Uh, you know, a pastor would say, you know, it's a bad idea, that's sin. Um, it's exploitation, you know, probably you think of that person, you're doing violation to your family, uh, you're going to destroy, it's a bad thing, you're a slave. You know, all these kind of arguments that pastors would say today, really interesting. What does the Apostle Paul write about in the passage in response to the topic? He does mention those things briefly. What he says is the human body has dignity, so you shouldn't go to a prostitute. Whoa, 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 I don't know what's happening. Yeah, very interesting, very interesting. Okay, so let's, ah, oh, man, I was amazed by this. So in this passage, the Apostle Paul connects theology to the dignity of the human body. He connects the greatest of New Testament theology to try and show people how dignified, honorable, good the human body is. Amazed by this, he chooses the five greatest New Testament doctrines and connects them to the body. I'm pretty sure it's the five greatest New Testament doctrines. Very surprising to me. Here they are. We're going to go through them quickly. They are the incarnation, the resurrection. You got them on the screen? It's a bit 
So the incarnation, the resurrection, union with Christ. That's Jim Packer's favorite doctrine. The Holy Spirit and the cross. Is there a great New Testament doctrine missing from that list? I don't think so. That's, that's the five great New Testament doctrines. All here in the passage, all connect to the body. Let me show you first, the incarnation. Verse 13, that's the Lord is for the body. The idea is that Jesus Christ was so for our body that he took one himself to affirm the goodness of our body. Second, the resurrection. Verse 14, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. That is, he will raise your bodies in heaven. Do you think when you go to heaven, you will not have a body? No, you'll just be a spirit. That's what the Greeks taught. That is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God will give us a resurrection body. Philippians 3 says, Jesus Christ will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious bodies. There is a future for our bodies. And for those of you who are experiencing the brokenness of the body, this doctrine is for you. I was going to make this doctrine the whole sermon, but I didn't. There's a whole sermon in there. Okay, point three, union with Christ. Oh my gosh, we are united with Christ. This is the climax of Romans chapter 8. Here Paul teaches that our bodies, not just our souls, are united with him. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Amazing. Fourth, the Holy Spirit. Get this. Ever think about this? Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Have you ever thought about that? God gives to Christians who are justified by faith the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit lives in your body. We are his temple. And as you walk around, you can know that the Holy Spirit is in your body. And fifth, Paul connects the dignity of the body to the death of Jesus Christ. Verse 20 says, you are not your own. You were bought at a, bought at a price. That's the death of Jesus Christ. Christ was costly. Therefore, honor God with your body. Whoa. That, <laughs> I want to do a five sermon series going through each of those, right? That is, that is the five greatest teachings of the New Testament connected to the human body. That's wild. Paul is saying that Jesus Christ died for our bodies, our bodies are on our temple. So what, okay, so the New Testament often does this kind of throws theology at you, like overwhelming. What is Paul trying to get across? Why is he pulling out the, the biggest guns he can get? He's trying to make one point, and that's Jesus Christ is good news for the body. That's the point. Jesus Christ is good news for the body. Our bodies are valuable. They have dignity. They are precious. Paul is using every theological weapon he can try to show us the astounding grandeur and value of our bodies, and we should treat them that way. Our bodies are precious and dignified, and we should treat other people's bodies that way too. As
I'm getting a red light here. This is a bit of a break. I think that means my battery has died. I'm happy to hold this, and uh, Pastor Larry or whoever can tell me what to do. I'll keep going with this for now. Okay, so, hello, Pastor Larry. Hello, Pastor Larry. Can he played music today? Pastor Larry is just basically everything for us. Thank you. You'll be back with a new pack soon. <clears throat> All right. So, this is this. Have you ever heard a sermon on this before? I've never talked about this before. The human body is dignified. So, this has many applications. I was talking about the alienation from the body, and I think this, this message touches all these areas in our lives. All right, here we go. You know, I shouldn't have started yet. Should have just made small talk. Hello? Hey, that's great. Isn't that great? All right. So this idea has such potential to heal the way we relate to our body. For those who feel shame about their bodies, for those who feel like their body isn't good enough, we can say to ourselves, my body is precious. Jesus Christ paid his blood to redeem my body. My body is the place where the Holy Spirit lives. Those who abuse their body, we can say, your body is precious. For those whose bodies don't fit any standard of how function should be or beauty should be, you know, for those who are born with bodies that aren't in the norms that we want as a society, we can still say, your body is precious, created by God, precious to him. There's so many applications here that I'm not really going to make because we've got to follow the Apostle Paul. Paul is talking about sex, how we use our bodies in sex. And that's his prompting for this. He's teaching about the dignity of the body. It's, it's, that's his theological framework to think about sexuality. So we've got to spend a little bit of time talking about sex. So... Christian teaching on sex is very different to the way modern people think. And so we've got to spend a little bit of time talking about it and explaining it. Many people, both those in the church and under the church, are under the impression that God and the Bible are against sex. And that's not correct. What do you think happened in the garden? God made Adam and Eve, two perfect people, naked married them, left them there, turned his back, and when he looked, whoa, what are you guys doing? No, don't do that. Yeah, that's, that's not what happened. <laughs> that's not what happened. To use the modern turn of phrase, the Bible is sex positive. The Bible is sex. I would say, actually, the Bible has a high view of sex. And the body, and our world has a low view of the body and sex. There are parts of the Bible that are absolutely risque, and modern Bible translators and pastors have difficulty talking about those passages. Sex is God's gift to us. What the Bible says is much more profound than simply sex is good. It says sex, like our bodies, is 
Gotcha. Sex is the most spiritually powerful thing we can do with our bodies. And so we need to treat it as something precious like our bodies. Many modern people think because they believe in sexual liberty, they put no limits on sex, um, they're sex positive, they're, they're pro-sex. Like the Corinthians, you know, sex is no big deal. It's just an appetite. But this attitude is based on an idea that denigrates the value of the body. So that scholar Nancy Piercy had a long section about this, and she shows these uh, attitudes on sex. Um, so this is just a few quotes. Uh, so she quoted a musician from Texas who said, sex is just a piece of body touching another piece of body. It is existentially meaningless. That's a musician. And here's a college student. She said, hookups are very scripted. You learn to turn everything off except your body and make yourself emotionally invulnerable. So this idea of sexual liberty treats the body like a piece of trash, meaningless, and alienates emotions, my person, from my body. Think about it. With this liberation idea, you can have sex with anyone. It just means our bodies are lumps of meat. Sexual intercourse, the most intimate use of my body, has been separated from us, who we are as persons. Just an activity that we do with our bodies. And to this, Paul says, no. Our bodies are not just meat. Sex is profound. Sex is mysterious. Sex is overwhelming. Sex is a whole person thing. The key point the key teaching on sex itself was in verse 16. Paul says, Do you not know, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. So Paul's quoting the Old Testament. This is Genesis chapter 2, the first marriage between Adam and Eve. And uh, Genesis is saying, in marriage, two people are united. And this uniting is everything. Their persons are being united in marriage. The relationship in physical sexuality, they're having a union that's a physical union. The uniting, the one flesh thing, is describing everything that happens in marriage. It's about the covenant. And when you have sex with a person, you become united with that person. Uh, in sex, your body is being intimate, it is the most vulnerable your body and person can be. And it is so deeply connected to our soul that even the people who write uh, expertly about it in the world can only write about it with poetry. Science breaks down. We need poetry to describe it. Sex is a force that is on our bodies, a bonding and connection and union. And to have sex with a person is to say, with your body, I am yours and you are mine. We bond our person to them with a physical union. So we, to put it Christianly, sex is a covenantal force. It covenants us to a person. This is why sex is for marriage. The Christian teaching is that we should always integrate what we do with our body to our person and our soul. 
We give our whole person in the covenant of marriage, and we receive the whole person. As in sex, we give our body and receive their body. With all that I am, with all that I have, I honor you. Sex is the way our bodies affirm the relationship of marriage. Paul is saying that if you have sex with a person you're not married to, you're lying to them with your body. Sex is the most vulnerable thing you can do physically. You expose your very self to that other person. And the teaching is that the vulnerability of sex should be matched by the vulnerability of your soul. You see how this is radically different to the idea of sexual liberty. But not just different. It's respectful. It's dignified. It's precious. It's good. It's a good teaching. It's a wonderful teaching. <clears throat> I want to say a lot more. I'm going to say two things finish up. Finish your time and go have our leftovers and finish unwrapping your presents. Two points quickly to finish. So this teaching about the dignity of the body has many things to say. But I'm just going to apply what Paul says from verse 18. Verse 18, Paul says, flee from sexual immorality. So the, the teaching is a positive one, affirming the preciousness and goodness of the body and sex. But there is this negative application that we have to make. Paul says, flee, run away, be safe from the danger. Seek a safe place from sexual immorality. Sexual immorality, the word is any sex outside the boundaries of marriage. Our, our appetites don't rule us. We are human beings that are precious. And we can say no to appetites sometimes. And we can say yes for the right purposes. For somebody who is Jesus Christ as their Lord, sexual immorality is a serious matter. We cannot say, I have the right to do anything. We say, we were bought at a price, so we should honor God with our bodies. So, this is what I say. To those who are single, Flee sexual immorality. Make sure you're safe if you're single. Those who are dating, flee sexual immorality. Those who are dating, there's lots of temptations, lots of difficulties. Flee. Put up whatever barriers you need to to flee. To those who are married, flee sexual immorality. Just because you're married doesn't mean you're safe sexual immorality. We are physical people, and temptations come to us. And to those who are watching pornography, I say, flee. Flee sexual immorality. Put up the boundaries. Escape the danger. For all of us, this is a command that comes to us. And at different points in our lives, it will bite, and it will be less important, and then all of a sudden it will become really important for us to learn. The word is run away, flee sexual immorality. And the other thing I wanted to say is this. Jesus Christ redeems us. As we sin, as we are alienated from our body, I just love the last verse in this chapter. You were bought at a price. Honor God with your body. Jesus Christ came with his body in this 
world, and he gave it up for us. He, he, he took his body knowing it would be punished and killed so that we and our bodies could be redeemed, so the sins that we've committed with our body could be forgiven, and the future of our body and the redemption of the brokenness of our bodies could be assured. Friends, Jesus Christ has given us this wonderful, wonderful message. So therefore, honor God with your body. Amen. I'm going to pray. Father God, we thank you for this um, kind of different teaching, but I've been so moved by um, the dignity you've bestowed on our bodies. Lord, I pray for us as a church that you would help us to absorb this teaching. Church, let's rise as we sing the song response.
Friends, Merry Christmas. May God bless you. 1 Corinthians 6, 20 says, You were bought at a price. Jesus Christ loves us so much, and he loves us. Amen.